0: I don't need you to know my name or face or site or previous books. I want you to be able to walk into a bookstore and yeah. be like, oh, what is this? Open it to any page and see a total banker.
1: You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Hey, it's Smitten Kitchen Day on the Taste Podcast, and I couldn't be happier to welcome my old friend Deb Perlman back on the show. Deb is the writer, photographer, recipe developer, and really the life behind one of the Internet's most popular home cooking destinations. On this episode, we talk about what she's been cooking in the East Village, and we talk about her great new book, Smitten Kitchen Keepers. What makes a keeper recipe, you may ask? We get into that and so much more on this really fun episode. Deb Perlman, welcome back to the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me on.
1: I'm really excited. We've done plenty of episodes. We've done small episodes. I think we recorded at your house once. We've been at Books Are Magic. (laughs) Now you're in Midtown. Hello. I like Midtown. (laughs) All right. So before we get to Smitten Kitchen Keepers and some of, I love your book. I just love it. Thank you. It's a great book. But I want to talk to you about, is this going to be the summer of superiority burger for you?
0: I hope so. I hope so. It, it's ready. It's like he's so close. It's so like close. Earned it. I the excitement around it. I love seeing <laughs> restaurants and quirky, tiny spaces that they outgrow move into big spaces. I love when a classic space in the East Village that people are very sad and cl- that closes is like taken over by something really fresh that really yep. adds things. and I'm thinking of like Moisha's Bakery oh, was taken guys. over by Le Fournil and I just think it's wonderful they kept you know they still sell the rainbow cookies Oh yeah. yeah that yeah. Moisha's, like I feel like they did what they could to preserve the energy and keep like long term customers happy while also doing their own thing and they added this is I know you asked me about one thing and I'm telling you about another but no, if this is the model for like success with an old space I love yeah. it so there you do this boulangerie thing and to me it's yeah. like very it's something you'd see all the time in Paris it's sort of. Like like inexpensive, you know, uh-huh. baguette, Work-a-day baguette. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like an everyday bakery. It's not fancy. It's not put on. There's places for fancy yeah. pastries. This is not what that is. You can just go there and get a baguette every day.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, anyway, so if that's the model and if that's what Superiority is doing, I am so yeah. excited.
1: Superiority Burger, Brooks Headley, opening in the old Odessa space on Avenue A. I would go
0: there on—I um, used to—they they make their own challah, um, yeah. you know, their egg bread or whatever. that um, They would, you know, serve with soups and everything. Yeah. They would do into these giant loaves. Mm-hmm. And I used to buy loaves of that when I wanted to have—make French toast
1: for my friends on New Year's Day. Yo. So when I was ever doing, like,
0: a French toast party, I would always buy I love that with those big
1: that. egg loaves. Um, I love—we're talking about the East Village because yeah. you're <laughs> a longtime resident of New York's East Village. I, I used to live there as well back in the day. Love it so much. What's so special about your neighborhood?
0: It's really, you can walk anywhere. Yeah. It's got a little bit of everything. It's cra- It's a little crowded. It never felt empty and hollow. I mean, obviously, there were a couple months there in yeah. 2020. And it's sort of... It's like a little bit ugly. It's sort of scrappy yeah. and I like it.
1: Yeah, it's always been in yeah. like flux, I know, like before I moved there in 02, before that it was a little rough, then it got gentrified, but now it's like kind of back to being a little rough. It's
0: a little yeah, I mean it's definitely like the apartment prices are absolutely oh, I mean, insane. So there's like, nothing, there's nothing going to be rough left, but I I just like it. I feel like I can walk everywhere. I feel like I have everything close by. It's so easy. To just get to everything, you're right by Union Square. You can walk down to House and you can go to the Pickle Guys. You can go to the Donut Plant. You can oh walk God. to the West Village. You can go down to the—you uh, can go down to Battery Park. I mean, you can really go anywhere from there.
1: Are you still mourning the loss of Caracas?
0: Yes, but everybody does. That's just a default I, position. Default <laughs> position.
1: I miss that place. I love that. I wish they, they were back there, but—
0: I love to see—and I also feel like a lot of times when new places open, they open there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we get a lot of new stuff, and there's a lot of new energy. So. The,
1: the the Danish coffee place that does the cardamom buns. Oh, my God. What's the name so of that good? place? La Cabre. They're incredible.
0: Yeah. So while I was talking about, like, sort of the simple boulangerie, <laughs> that is, like, honest to God, their pastries yeah. are, I mean, the highest level of croissant I've seen possibly yeah. in or outside of Paris. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've definitely had a lot of croissants in Paris. Yeah. It's unbelievable Le- how good. And their cardamom bun is, like, not— excessively sweet so yeah it's like you could really just get it pretty often <laughs> yeah definitely
1: agree it's not doesn't feel like it's a decadent dessert i i have had that with coffee many times last last east village Vasulka finally getting a james beard semifinalist. no list. way
0: i totally missed that yeah so
1: they're on the long list hopefully they'll make it to the shorter list I love their, it's
0: a, I have a version of it on my site, um, but it's like a deep cut, but I love their cabbage and pork soup and it's oh, yeah. finished with a little splash of sauerkraut juice. Like yeah. Like that little chef's kiss. I love I that. just like, we just need to finish more things with sauerkraut juice.
1: I agree. I mean, the East Village, <laughs> so many restaurants, so many potential recipes. Ha ha.
0: Oh, I see where you're we were going, Mike.
1: We 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 were just kind of ideating. On What's a,
0: next? I wh- was like a nap. You're like a new cookbook. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we're, it's always fun just to have uh, prolific cookbook authors like yourself in. But I have to ask you about uh, Smitten Kitchen Keepers.
0: Okay,
1: it's your third under Smitten Kitchen. So why write another one? That is a really good question.
0: <laughs> I felt. I was very resistant to this one. I've kind of been a little bit resistant to each one, and but there is a reason. And the reason is that I've – I always found, and especially the first two books, to be a really big struggle. Like I – just like I was happy with the site where I would just wake up and cook what I wanted and write about what I wanted. And I felt like this is just working. Like Mm -hmm. why would I write a cookbook? But – I understood the point of having, you know, something you can hold in your hand. So anyway, but the first two books were, they were hard. They were really hard. And I mean, obviously the third book's hard too, but (laughs) it was hard because I didn't know what people wanted. I didn't fully understand what a cookbook was supposed to be, what should be in a cookbook, what shouldn't. And I, after finishing the second book, I decided I was only going to write a third book if I could start answering these questions. Right on find out what I hate, like, you know, kind of get to the bottom of this, like, tension and this sort of yeah. crabbiness I had around the whole process. And so that's why I had to write a third cookbook, because I had to write one that felt like this is what I'm supposed to be
1: doing. Right. And 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 you've read, and, and we talked about this once, you've read almost all of the 350,000 comments that have appeared on your website since you launched over a decade ago. You've read all of them. What have you absorbed the most from these readers?
0: I love hearing from people what they do not want to do. (laughs) And I also love the fact that the book Keepers really named itself. I think my editor checked at one point and it had come up like 762 times in comments, the word Keepers. Like there are just certain words that Mm -hmm. people use for recipes they want to make forever. So Mm -hmm. that is a theme. And also people will tell you what they don't want to do in the kitchen. And if you're listening, you can write better recipes that work for more
1: people you're just like such a great head note writer i mean you've got a joke a kicker a punchline, um but you aren't overindulgent or preachy it's like a really fine balance i mean head notes can be very challenging so when you're writing the head note and that's of course the text that runs up before the recipe um what are you trying to do i want to tell you
0: a little bit about why this recipe why now how it fits in hmm. how it came about why you would want to make it, what makes it different, and if there's something a little bit weird, like why we're doing it this way and not another way. So I'm trying to, in one way, preemptively answer questions, but also tell the story because I think, like, a little story time, a little, like, tell me how this fits into, like, a real life, Mm. like into chaos or busyness or happiness or, like, it just how, how does it fit in? Otherwise, it's just, like, I don't know. It's just a list of ingredients on the internet and you don't know mm. anything about why why this one.
1: Do you write a bunch of them at the same time? Like, how do you get into that, like, voice and that tone of, like, all your head notes? And this goes for your website as well because your website also, it is in the Deb voice and it, it's unmistakable on the internet.
0: I want, I, I'm i just, I want to talk the way it sounds to me. I don't want to be an authority I don't really, I know that sounds weird, but I don't, it doesn't, it isn't really about my way versus your way. It isn't like there's a right and wrong way. Nobody needs to lecture on the difference between blood oranges and regular oranges. Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff is so boring. But I think explaining how things work and why they work is very helpful. And even explaining about like a funny story that came about while you were working on it or Mm -hmm. something
1: is nice. They're full of, the book is full of them. One quote, the world would be a better place if we all accepted the fact that potato chips can be a meal. Like, of
0: course, yes. Don't I mean? This is just objectively. These are like. <laughs> it sounds like I'm saying very something very contentious, and it's like I no. just think we agree. Like potato, it's a oh, potato. We're not debating. It's this. It's a vegetable. There's yeah. some oil on it, so that basically makes it a salad, right? Like
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's all there. I have to say, uh, as an aside, I I just bought a bag of Shoprite branded baby back rib chips, and they've somehow nailed pork barbecue in a chip. It's not just like barbecue high level it's pork barbecue
0: wow so it's almost like a crossover between like bacon Yeah. or i'm thinking like um what are the is it what are the ones that you always get in spain or like the jamon yeah chips? yep those really so fancy it's like jamon yep. crossed with yep. barbecue yep i feel like
1: it's it really amazing. special yes. it's not
0: too sweet
1: it's not too sweet, but I would say it's it's sweet enough where you're, you're tasting that baby back rib kind of sweetness that you're going to get from the pork specifically.
0: I think my favorite... Potato chips I've had were in London. Yeah, um, this was many years, but they had like they're called the, crisps, right? Yes, pardon me, crisps. Crisps, and, <laughs> and you can have them at the pub.
1: Yeah,
0: and you open them from the side. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you right. make a little bowl. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember having this like red, like you know, we've got like we have like you know. Sour cream and onion, and yeah. they have like red cheddar and creme fraiche, or like yeah. red and like Vidali. Like it was just <laughs> Vidali. Like, no, it was some, it was like some English ale, mustard, and Vidali. I was like, it was so good.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I, I feel like we could go into total potato chip oh my hive. God. Um, book, book four. Book four, potato <laughs> chips. Let's go single, single subject, 196 page count. <laughs> let's, go, let's do it. <laughs> I love the idea of untethering foods from season and holidays. Like once on Taste, we ran a story about gingerbread in the summer, which I think is a great summer baking project. But you write about this. What are some what are some examples of untethering recipes from certain food holidays?
0: (laughs) Mm hmm you know on a bigger scale i think a lot about seasonality and where we live now i yeah. don't live in california we're not growing strawberries in february and yeah. march like this is not an option so unless you are a canner a preserver <laughs> or you're exclusively eating root vegetables and things that go from come from cold storage from like november through may It's time to buy some zucchini at the grocery store. Like, I want to live in the world where we can only eat locally. But how does Uh, that even work where we live? So I've been thinking about it philosophically. I've been thinking about it economically. And I have just, like, it's, I love the, you know, I would love to live off the land. But, like, I also (laughs) just, like, I don't think this is realistic. So sometimes I make eggplant parmesan in January. And it's actually the perfect January food. There's an eggplant and couscous dish in the book that is just so nice for Mm -hmm. this time of year because it's a big... It's hearty. It's full of flavor, and maybe you don't even want to run. You're often that much when eggplant is actually in season.
1: It's so true. Like we don't want to roast when I do like any of those um, like high temperature cooking Mm -hmm. dishes in in August. Absolutely not.
0: And I feel like we should treat ourselves to the zucchini and pesto. Lasagna in the winter, too, because it's not your usual bread sauce lasagna at all. But, you know, you can you can get the job done with a grocery store zucchini. It's going to taste amazing.
1: I've written it so you can use store bought pesto.
0: It's fine. It's going to be good. Respect the
1: call. Quote, not a cell in my body is motivated to teach you how to make a compound butter. You wrote that. I did. You you look at me like, did I? No, no
0: I know exactly why I Because I feel that?
1: like that's such a good line because <laughs> sometimes cookbooks are like, oh, yeah, make that compound butter, freeze it, save it for later. Oh, yeah, have it for that other time. But you're not.
0: So for me, it's more of a fear of something else, which is that I want each of my books. I don't need you to know my name or face or site or previous books. I want you to be able to walk into a bookstore and yeah. be like, oh, what is this? Open it to any page and see a total banker. Like, that's the goal. It's a high goal. But I don't want you to walk and be like, oh, a vinaigrette with oil and vinegar. Like, Mm. you know, I don't want you to see like, oh, if we put herbs in butter, we can make herb butter. So I want each thing to be – have a chance to be like the thing that you see that makes you want to buy the book. And so I don't want any kind of like what feels like a filler recipe or something. Oh, yeah. Extensively covered elsewhere. Like, I don't know that one one one-hundredth of a book that I write (laughs) every five years, you know – deserves to be
1: i mean bangers only we're talking yeah. you said it like that's that's pretty much the policy
0: yeah so just like it's got to be a mic drop mic drop or have like a chance at being one i mean it's a little stressful when you're trying to write a book knowing that you have these really <laughs> ridiculously high bar but it is what i'm thinking about like would i fall asleep or be disappointed if i open the book to this page
1: yeah it's it's oh, that, that would keep you up at night like am i gonna be bummed by this recipe when i pull up to like mcnally jackson yeah that that one recipe is not a banger yeah
0: what's that what if they open (laughs) that up and they're like i know i worry about this stuff endlessly i didn't say it was healthy i just said that's (laughs) what i think about
1: Uh, we like to ask guests on the show about the last recipe appearing in your book because oftentimes when doing a lot of press you're not asked about that final recipe so for yours it's a chocolate olive oil spread i mean it's a banger right it's so
0: good, and I feel like people overlook it, or maybe yeah. they've got they're thinking about dinner or cake or something specific, but I feel like this is something for you that you would make and that you could enjoy. Yeah. You can also give it as a gift, um, but it's oh, nice. such a nice chocolate spread for that Lifournil baguette, which is what I believe it's photographed on, too, oh, if very I remember nice. correctly. I'm wrapping it back around with the East Village there. Yep. Um, it's such, it's just so good. There's such a lovely, the fruitiness of olive oil mm-hmm. and the, you know, the complexity. of a good bittersweet chocolate go really well together. And it's like, I don't want to say Nutella, but it's like got a grown-up chocolate spread vibe, and we deserve it.
1: I love giving a gift. How do you you give food gifts? Do you you wrap them intricately? Do you just bring them more rustically in a bag?
0: I buy some ribbon and like a cute jar, and then I can't make it happen. I'm like really bad at Pinteresting, and then I get mad (laughs) at ribbon, and then I start... Complaining to my husband about the gift wrap like conspiracy, like
1: oh, (laughs) you mean that we're forced to like we're forced
0: to like wrap and then wrap again just for people to throw this fancy paper in the garbage? And I just, I just, it's just, I'm just mad because I can't tie a ribbon. So I'm not really good at that cutesy stuff. But in my heart, I want you to believe that it's, you know, it's it's usually just a jar with some smears on the side. (laughs) I mean, that's truly
1: all you need. You just a jar. Like that has a lid that you can put on a counter and be like, Deb gave this to me. And they're like, Oh shit.
0: <laughs> SK in the house. <laughs> Drop everything.
1: Um, tucked away on page 65 and 66 is a little called a, a, a green salad mission statement, a green salad manifesto, a declaration. I want to go over a couple of the topics because it is, you've s- committed some significant time to, to making salads. <laughs> so the first point I want to cover is how do you wash your salad greens?
0: I don't like salad spinners. I'm not saying if you have a salad spinner and the salad spinner is working for you, you should stop using it. Everyone should use what works for them. But I have now in my cooking life twice— Twice bought a salad spinner and just been a little <laughs> underwhelmed then 10 years passed maybe 15 and I was working with a food stylist who loves salad spinners I'm like yep. maybe it's time and I bought another one I'm like no it's the same thing I just it takes up too much space in my kitchen yep. to not get the lettuce dry enough so I would rather use things that have multiple purposes and so I'm a big fan of you plunge it in cold water you you know swish it around and that way you really know mm-hmm. the dirt's falling
1: oh, to yeah. the bottom you lift it
0: We lift it out, we scoop it like our hands are a pasta tong, and we spread it out on some big kitchen towels. You should definitely always have a few big kitchen towels. They're so good to have. Mm -hmm. You roll it up loosely, and then you can just kind of like shake it out a little bit Mm -hmm. or leave it rolled up until you need it. And when you open it, there is so much less water on it than there would ever be for me that I've experienced from a salad spinner. Yeah. Like In my experience, I'm like, like I'm going to get sued for this statement. Or real truther like. here
1: with a salad spinner. You're a um, real truther. Yeah.
0: And now you're just using a bowl you already had and yep. a towel you already had. And by the way, that towel just had water on it. So you can just like use yep. it again. That's fine. It'll that dry right
1: back into, yeah. Okay. How do you dress greens then?
0: I like them very delicately dressed, very lightly. I think it's really nice if you're making a salad in advance to just make the vinaigrette in the bottom of the bowl, pile the lettuce on top. You're limiting, and so you don't want— I really want it tossed at the very last minute. And I feel like if you're going to do heavier stuff, like nuts or seeds or cheese, it's nice if you can to kind of, like, hold back some salad, sprinkle it on, hold back some salad, so every layer gets it. Otherwise, it's just going to fall to the
1: bottom. It's the And and so let's not let that pass, listener— let it sink in, <laughs> dressing in the base of the bowl and then greens on top, leave it on the counter, and then when you're going to serve it, toss the salad.
0: Exactly. And like I that. like a nice thin vinaigrette to like lightly coat it. We're not trying to glob it on. Yeah. If it's a thicker, creamy dressing, I am more likely to want to spread it directly on the plate Yeah. and then still delicately dress the greens and pile that on top. So you can kind of scoop it up with your fork, but it, you're not trying to get some white thicker dressing to coat leaves. It's just going to weigh them down.
1: Are you into white dressings?
0: I, you know, I have, I feel like a homemade ranch is a really okay, big good thing. And good. kind of We're every friends. January I have a moment with blue cheese dressing because It's so good when you make it at home. Yeah. So I, yeah, I do not have an issue with white dressings. I just feel like you just need to make it from ingredients. You know what they are.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, not messing with the Hidden Valley shit. Can't I mean, even go there. I I, you
0: know, you could put it out and I'd be like, this is really good. How'd you make it? Like, that, so I probably wouldn't even
1: know. Oh, you will know. I'm sorry. This is my, <laughs> this is me talking, not you. All right. Um. Okay, last salad question. What's like a great dry ingredient that we're not we're like forgetting about that we're skipping that we maybe don't have in in, in top of our top of our list?
0: Um, does frico count as a dry ingredient?
1: I think so. Like a fried frica. Yeah, yeah. like where you
0: just take and I don't. But I like it. I believe I have it in the book, but I have a recipe on the site that Ooh, I was extra surprised. Content. Yeah, Side little matter. little yeah, there's an apple and <laughs> cheddar crisp salad and I always wanted to do an apple. i always wanted to do the salad and I didn't really yeah. expect it to have like a little viral moment when I published it last fall, but I love it because you just take the little spoonfuls of grated cheese and you yeah. crisp it in the oven and now you have this potato chip, we're bringing that back, salty, crispy, crunchy thing and it just you could take the most simple salad and it adds mm-hmm. so much to it, so.
1: You tell a great story in the book. While you are recipe testing, you ordered, um, well, you ordered four pounds of, of cherry stone clams, and 22 pounds arrived. Somehow there was a keystroke that happens often when we're ordering online. <laughs> so what did you do with the extra 20 pounds of clams?
0: I begged my friends to take them <laughs> out. I literally—I cannot even explain the physical volume of how many climbs. it was really, like, pounds. two overloaded garbage bags. Like, yeah. you know, I don't have room for one of those in my yeah. kitchen, in my fridge, and I certainly wasn't going to go through them. Yeah. They were really sandy and dirty, too. Like, they really—they yeah. needed somebody to take them home that night, and so I— Begged my friends to take them off my hands. And I, you know, it's so hard to make plans with friends. It's like seven weeks of back and forth texts, yeah. and you finally make plans and then something always happens. But you tell people, you're like, I need somebody to come and guys make clam chowder, put yeah. clams on pizza. People just show up. That's cool. Oh, I was in your neighborhood. Turns out I was walking down your Support. block. Like, people will say that. I'm, like, I, I'm at a doctor's appointment three blocks from your apartment. I'm like, you didn't <laughs> tell me this before. <laughs> Might help to also live in the East Village. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a part of the village
1: community, but I love that. I love that story. Yeah,
0: so people—and my friends made—they um they made linguine clams. Oh, yeah. They made—they put it on pizza. They just steamed it open and, like, had sort of a garlic wine butter thing, and then oh, it man. made me happy.
1: Oh, makes me—I love that. It's such a good dish. Okay one organization um highlight i would say of your book which i I just love this because it's so fresh i've not thought about this myself you organize vegetables by size you have a small veg section a medium veg section and a big veg section absolutely genius um how did you figure this out how did you figure out that vegetables should be thought about not by where they fall on on the you know on the ground or where they're grown but by their size
0: It came from a place of if you cook vegetables and eat vegetables, whether you are vegetarian or not, I am so tired of these conversations of like, is it a main? Is it a side? I wouldn't eat that a main. Does it have enough protein? I'm not saying I just want to like free us. Like I'm freeing myself and I'm freeing you. You (laughs) do not have to have these conversations anymore. For now on. When you want to eat a vegetable, you can just eat the vegetable because the vegetable is good. And so from there, what I did is I took all of the vegetable dishes that I wanted in the book. And I'm not going to call them mains. I'm not going to call them sides. Right. And I— took them, and I basically put them on a continuum from the smallest, which is, by the way, not physically small, because one of them is cabbage. Um, yeah. <laughs> but this small, it could be a side dish, it could be a snack, it could be a light lunch, it could be your dinner. It's yep. between you and whatever vegetable you're craving. Mm-hmm. The medium ones are maybe a little more substance. We've got the cover pasta, we have a little galette, mm-hmm. maybe it's things you would have with a soup or a salad, or just have two of them, yep, or just yep, yep. one, whatever you wanted. And the largest ones are things that I think we recognize as a main. You know, it's a little it's a falafel Mm -hmm, sandwich, mm -hmm. it's a portabella mushroom hoagie, like it's, I think it's a little easier to see it as a meal, but in that way... Just choose your own adventure. Yeah,
1: really smart to, to 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 use size as your and not just like main because like main doesn't say anything.
0: It's so tiring, and I don't know who's eating meat and two sides, and that's fine if you are. There's definitely sides for you to pick there, but I don't think most people, mm-hmm. when they look at like sweet potato oven fries or salt and vinegar roast cabbage or like, really concerned about whether it's a main or a side. You just should eat it because it sounds good and
1: it tastes good. Yep. You write about turkey meatloaf for skeptics, <laughs> It speaks to me because I am a turkey skeptic.
0: And why are you a turkey skeptic? I'm turning the tables.
1: Please. Um, Talk to me. I mean, that holiday in November brings out the worst in us as home cooks. <laughs> um, this bird is gamey. This bird is too large. Mm. It's too much meat. There's a lot of waste. I, and I just don't enjoy that protein on anything. So, I'm a skeptic. That said, tell me about this meatloaf.
0: I too am the skeptic. My skepticism was more about turkey meatloaf itself. My yeah. theory was and I fully confidently believed that nobody ate turkey meatloaf by choice. People just <laughs> ate it cuz it like was like instead of some richer meat, they just ate it cuz they thought they should. I didn't think anybody like really ate turkey meatloaf because they really wanted yeah. to which is so funny because it's not true but this is how i believed and so my challenge my self-challenge was create a turkey meatloaf that you would objectively love and i do i love this turkey wow meat. i would make this two for dinner so you, i think it's great
1: so you've had some feedback what have, what have what have what have your fans and your readers said
0: they i have heard from people who said no we actually like turkey meat <laughs> or i've heard from other people who were skeptic too um it's just—it's a very simple. It's—it's it's moist, which is—I know word people oh, don't like.
1: We went there.
0: I have this whole thing where I don't like to see chunks of vegetables in the meatloaf. Like they need to be not pureed, but like nicely mm-hmm. minced. I don't want like a chunk of carrot falling no. out the side. And then the sauce on top is not like that ketchup thing, but like almost like a quick faux barbecue sauce, and then we serve it with these crushed ranchy potatoes, which are neither mashed nor roasted. It's Mm -hmm. a little in between with these pockets of a ranchy sour cream herby thing, Mm -hmm. and it is, it's good. It's it's objectively good.
1: Objectively good. So, let me ask you, this is like a high level question. Like, where do you where do you get inspiration for this dish? Like, were you... All over. Okay.
0: I'm out, like, catching <laughs> inspiration butterflies and then yeah. realizing it. Like, sometimes I'll just be on a train and I'll be like, yeah. ooh, ooh. But this one specifically came from my former assistant, Sarah, and she yeah. was just like, Tab, you need a turkey meatloaf. She's huh. like, we need more meatball recipe. She would remind me about a lot of the things. And I would say, ah. but this is boring. Nobody likes this. And I, it took me so long to realize that, like, that's where you start. Yeah. That's where you start with the things that you don't mm. – winter squash soup. There's a winter squash soup in there because of her. She's like, but do your own spin on it. I'm like, but, but it's – you know, and then so for my winter squash soup, it's full of, you know, really, like – awakening spices and it's fragrant and it smells like a little bit like a curry and there's like some Mm -hmm. like it's just there's so much going on there and there's coconut milk and then we do this red onion chili red onion chili and coconut crisp on top with some lime juice and i'm like oh thank you for pushing me to do a winter squash soup
1: that that sounds like a vegetable large that's like that's like such a good recipe man
0: it's like and it smells amazing. Yeah. Oh, and it's like accidentally vegan. Like it's like, oh, it's- oh well,
1: I was gonna say it sounds a little bit like it's in that in that zone. But it's for not January.
0: Coconut milk to make it vegan, it's coconut milk because coconut milk yeah. is the very best flavor there.
1: It's beautiful. Shout out to Sarah.
0: I know she was so good. Yeah. Come back, Sarah. I got to no.
1: email her a lot. Yeah, she was. She was smart. She's really she's great. smart. I don't know I why we're saying past tense.
0: I know she still exists. She, <laughs> she just, still exists? I understand. She just had to. Do, she had to do other work. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> she's wonderful. Everybody knows her. Um. Agrees. And so she was a good reminder of yeah. some of the simple recipes that I reject because yeah. I think that they're boring or they've been done to death. And she was such a good person to remind me that like, but you're not going to do it that way. You're going to have your opinions. Green salad, by the way, you can thank her for that one too.
1: She th- she thought about breaking it down. She's
0: like, we yeah. really need a green salad primer. I'm like, oh, if that I would, that I had that compound butter fear. Like yeah. if, if somebody opens the book and they're like a basic green salad, no, you can't. I'm not paying thirty five dollars for that.
1: No, it's that fear. But back back saying that it turned
0: fear. out I had a lot of opinions.
1: Psychic Sarah, bring her back. Aww. Ah, well, we wish you best, Sarah. Now Deb, you're like a sleepy, sneaky, food media mogul. I'm saying this into your face is just absolutely horrified. and, I, and <laughs> I'm I, like, "Ooh!" I know it's such an ooh I word. Done? It's such an ooh <laughs> word. No, but I, I mean it. I'm sorry. <laughs> this isn't a statement about finances. It's more about that you have a lot of captive uh, readers. You have people who read you all the time. Let me ask you, how do you think about your brand? And in general, like you have the website, you have YouTube but you don't have like, you're not like extending so much further than that. You have the cookbooks, obviously. So do you just keep it very focused? Is that your strategy?
0: I just like to write recipes. Yeah. I like to mess around with food. I like to tell stories. It hasn't really changed. I don't try to limit myself either. I mean, if I was like, I think a podcast would be fun. Like, you know, I would yeah. do it. I just, I you're just. Great.
1: I love having you on the show. You're amazing.
0: Um, maybe i will do a podcast yeah. thinking about it. So it's just more about like sometimes opportunities come up and I'm like maybe, eh, but it's very yeah. rarely the right fit. But I just, I really like messing around in the kitchen. Like, yeah. I decided I was going to get really into making flour tortillas this week. And I, oh, you would probably have a mm-hmm. lot to say about this. I decided I wanted to make kimchi. Oh, like, right on. Just like, I'm just going to make kimchi.
1: That's cool. Like, so, a cabbage style issue. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, I just want to, like, I want to make yeah. kimchi. And um, I think it's going to wait till because I'm about to go away. But so mm-hmm. I
1: don't want to come Are you back. thinking shrimp paste or fish sauce for that? For, or are you thinking vegan?
0: I was thinking vegan, but that was cool. mostly like the kind of TikTok videos yeah. that I fell into, where it was just really fermenting with the chilies and um and the I, it just looked really good, and you salt the cabbage, and I was like, we, I mean, we love to eat it, so why don't I just again, Maybe. I just like. I feel so lucky and grateful that I got to have this job where I get to mess around with the food that I'm curious about yeah. and the food that frustrates me where I'm like, this is too complicated. How can I make this easier? How do I make these brownies taller, less sweet, more crackly? Like, how many times can I make them? I, I don't know.
1: I love, that's what I love about you so much. It's it's cracking codes, but you do it in like an effortless way, but you don't, it's like simplification, but also not like the capital S simple, simple recipes. You know what I mean,
0: it's not really the goal is like me trying to make myself happy with right it. On. I'm so glad people are along for the ride. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah but, like,
0: yeah. I'm the skeptic. I'm the one who thinks that, like winter squash. like nobody's told me this. This is no. just me being picky. Yeah. and wanting things from food. Um, I'm like a grown up picky eater. So
1: you're not I a, like you're not a big brand person either. You're not doing like a lot of spawn con.
0: I've never done SponCon, honestly. Is that still
1: the case? I remember we talked yeah, like years ago. I mean,
0: I'm not, like, everybody should do it. works for them. There sure. isn't, like, a right or wrong no, way. No, no, no. I have no po- poker face. Like, if you ever want to make money, go play poker with me. Like, I'm really—I <laughs> don't have a poker face. I don't think I would be very good at using my voice mm. to, like, sell something. That said, there are things that I love, yeah. you know, and— over the years I've been trying to find ways that like, I can talk about things that I love in a way that is not mm. clouded but part of the way I'm able to do that is nobody's paying me to talk about yeah. them so therefore I can talk about them and you know if I say I like something that I bought it yeah. and if I didn't buy it I'll tell you I didn't buy it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? it's, just, it's very simple
1: Yeah. no I mean it, it is very simple and clearly it works for you and it's not a comment on like advertising or over
0: yeah whatever. I mean I'm lucky I've been able to make it work I'm sure there's a lot more money to be made and I'm definitely looking at a few things this year where i I be able to work with a company. One of my frustrations is like when I love a product and somebody stops making it. Yeah. And then I'm like, how do I get them to make it again? Ooh. Well, what if I... Like agree to help them sell it, I we're guess? We're talking about
1: like, dead stock products? Are you buying stuff off Amazon? No, are talking I'm about just Crystal trying Pepsi? to
0: hog like, a brand into, like I, like, I have these favorite this and that, mm. and I want people to make these things again so I can mm. have them. And so when readers are like, tell me about that pot you use, I'm like, well, nobody makes it anymore. Oh, we're
1: talking about kitchen gear. I was thinking, so, I was thinking oh, about no. Ecto Cooler, like that green um, no. high C from back in the day. <laughs> no, I'm
0: not trying to bring back some, like, <laughs> like poisonous <laughs> color of M&Ms. I'm talking about like just specific <laughs> things that I use in the kitchen all the time that I can't give people links. To buy because they aren't made anymore. So I'm like trying to see this year if I can talk some people into making things.
1: That's so cool.
0: But we'll see. So that might be as close as I ever I get mean, to products, but like not like it's not, I'm not like sponsored. You're by not anybody. doing a
1: Ruffles um, Super Bowl special no. dip. Sponsored by Roethlis. Although, if
0: we're talking about the Super Bowl, no, I don't know when you're going to run this, so we should <laughs> talk about the Super Bowl. I'm
1: like, I just want a white marshmallow jacket
0: so badly. <laughs> they look so floofy. Definitely look
1: look look pretty fly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I, I, I just respect it. I think it's a really unique media company. Mogul maybe was a little overstatement. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to make you blush, but it's definitely cool to see you being yourself. And obviously making, making it work financially, so I love that.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm so rich. No, so well, rich. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, I'm I'm very lucky that I've been able to make a job of this. I yeah. literally just dropped my headphones. No. App- I was so appalled by the mogul comment. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm through my you're, headphones. You're walking, I'm walking out of the, out of the room. It's yeah. the door slam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I um I'm I just feel really lucky that yeah. I've I get to like cook what I'm excited about, talk about what I'm excited about, yeah. do it in my own voice on my own time. Like that is just uh, it's lucky.
1: And subscribe to your newsletter. I'm gonna to link to it in the show notes. Thank I you. love your newsletter. You it, it's <laughs> a really great read. There's some links in it. There's some great recipes. There's always uh, a few inspirations. It's just really well done. So thank
0: you. It, I appreciate yeah. that.
1: Um you were just on tour. Now, I want to ask you, finally, IRL, you're you're meeting your your readers <laughs> face-to-face for the first time since, you know, well before the pandemic. So what was that like? And the second part is, was there any city where you're like, man, the food here is so good. I did not know that.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I—it's really weird because I don't consider myself a terribly outgoing person, but I love book touring. Yeah. I just think it's so Fun to meet people. Everyone's so nice. Definitely. Like, it's just really fun to kind of draw. I don't think I would ever want it to be like my full time job, <laughs> running around the country, <laughs> sixty cities. Yeah, no, I think it's a lot. Like, I like it, it's good to have a yeah. beginning and an end, yeah. and then just be like, I'm kind of like you can't find me right now, <laughs> which I think is important. Um, <laughs> So, but uh, I find it just really fun. I love just trying to get what I can out of a city in a couple yep. hours, see what I can find on my feet, see if I can find something mm-hmm. interesting. And people always tell me like, oh, you have to get the bagel here. You have to try this. Yeah. You have to try this. And I love making lists and like, going through and trying to find something interesting to eat or to look at. So I love that part. I love meeting people. I, everyone's just so nice. Yeah. Like the vibes are excellent. Everyone's just like, everyone's there with like their They're mom or their you. daughter or their sister or their cooking group. Mm-hmm. And it's like really just very nice. So mm-hmm. I love talking about cooking. I love getting to have these conversations. I loved this time for this book tour, we did conversation formats in each place. I got to talk to Samin Nasrat. Like, nice. no big deal. I talked to <laughs> Kenji in Seattle. Oh, cool. Like, no big deal. Just being interviewed <laughs> by Kenji. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun to have these conversations. And then, there, you know, it wasn't always about the big names either. Sometimes they were just like really interesting. People, I got to talked. To. So that was a fun part. Mm-hmm. I have a real soft spot for Minneapolis.
1: Oh wow! I don't I love know it.
0: why. I, I do know why. I think it's just like a lovely little city. I think it has people just think of the snow and how cold it is, but I think it has a really high quality of like like a good quality of living. Yeah. Almost, every, I always say, like, where do you live? Like, where you know, everybody lives like twenty minutes from downtown. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're not. Nobody's like, oh, I had to commute two hours to yeah. get here. Um, the first time I was there for my first book tour, I spoke in the library, and it's like the most majestical building. I mean, yeah. I thought I it was like, it was like Lincoln Center. So their investment in the arts. Yeah. Um, and um, I just, I really just had a breakfast at like an old school diner with like twelve seats, um,
1: so but great. it was perfect. Yeah, um, I love Minneapolis myself. I, I I went to college in Wisconsin, so I got to go up there a bit. And Mungtown Market in in Saint Paul is incredible. Love, mm-hmm. I love that you call that city. It's such, a, and in the summertime. It's magical. It's really nice. It's so nice.
0: magical. I mean, there are so many great places I got to go, but it's just like, yeah. I'm always like, I just don't think people are counting this one. So I got to go to
1: Shadow. Good out. call, Deb. I love it. Deb, we asked all guests on Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world to write this book. What would this book be?
0: I feel like it's gonna have to be the East Village cookbook. We're going there. But what if I did? Like, is there a modern day Molly Katzen's New York cookbook? Oh. That's crazy because I grew up with that book. I mean, uh, I mean yeah. It, I don't and, know. And, and, I mean, Molly, I don't, and what is modern day? Like, what does that mean? Only restaurants that have opened in the last 10 years. See, it's already gotten messy, but I'm like, I just would love to do
1: something very a, neat. Not a problem when you're when you're thinking about book ideas. So we were talking a little off mic, but let's go there. You live in these Village. there's so many great restaurants there, yeah. there's so many great markets, just people of all backgrounds.
0: Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot. I, maybe just something about like, like, just truly being in love with New York after all these years like I'm just I love New York it's so corny (laughs) I like I love living here we're like when 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 are you gonna get a proper apartment when are you gonna get get a yard Deb? and I'm like I just like it here I'm sorry it's like the bane of our existence that I like living in this city (laughs) because we're not millionaires
1: no it's um. it's really 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 (laughs) comes out in the writing because you write for an apartment kitchen and It's real. It's real.
0: I just, I'm starting to like, you know, I'm like, I guess I'm just never going to have a giant kitchen. I'm just, it's just never going to happen. It's fine. It's okay. It it hasn't stopped me yet, right? It hasn't stopped
1: you yet. Deb Perlman, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me on.
1: Eliza, I want to talk to you about this piece you just wrote.
2: About spice blends.
1: Yeah, you knew we were going to talk about spice blends, right? We yeah. you knew it. You're like you were like, okay.
2: I'm like resisting the urge to say get spicy, but I just did. So there's so many
1: ways to say spice it up a little bit and get to this B segment. You know, the we,
2: spice of life.
1: Yeah, variety is. Um, I wanted to talk about spice blends mostly because it seems like spice blends are not given the respect they are due.
2: Yeah, if by by people like us, by people in food media, I would say.
1: Yeah. So what excites you about spice blends?
2: Well... The reason why I wrote the story is that I was starting to notice a lot of like collabs happening in the spice blend space Mm -hmm. with T Pain, for example. Yeah, T
1: Pain, Spice Walla.
2: Yeah, if T Pain's doing anything, I'm paying attention. Mm. But the fact that he's dropping like a collab of three spice blends for chicken wings with Spice Walla, I think that was what made me start to be like, well, I have noticed that like this is not the only like non spice person I know that is making these custom blends. Um, And then I just started looking into all of these companies that. I really admire that are mm. doing a lot of like direct to consumer, equitably sourced single origin spices that have become known to their audience and to the food world for doing these single origin spices that we're now introducing these blends that were just like really fun, you mm-hmm. know, so maybe it is the T-Pain, like straight fire chicken wings, or maybe it is Rima Seal or these other cookbook authors that we admire that are doing these custom blends with companies like Burlap and Barrel and Walla yeah. and Diaspora. But I think that was the way in for me that I just saw a lot of innovation happening in this space that I think that has been maligned by mm-hmm. um, quote unquote food people that, you know, want to take things seriously.
1: Yeah. Good points. Um, let's just get to the basics about what's the difference between single origin and blend?
2: Well, single origin is something that has been grown and harvested in one place, right? So single origin coffee, single origin tea. Mm -hmm. So these spice blends that I'm talking about, I think do count as single origin in that it's not um, cumin from all over the world that's being blended Mm -hmm. together. It's cumin coming from this one farm in this one place. But instead of it being just cumin, it's um, you know, an adobo blend or a baharat. These are not mm-hmm. things that necessarily have cumin in them, but these are just examples of, of blends, right, that these companies are bringing forth.
1: Great. And it seems to me that um, the blend has actually a culinary purpose that the single spices don't allow for. Like, So what's the, like, in the kitchen when we're cooking, is a blend a real utility to you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that like Marijuana Irwari, who does Spice Walla, was talking to me about. Is that basically for as long as spices have been around, uh, if you look at like different. Cuisines around the world, you know, garam masala, like a lot of the masalas in general in Southeast Asian cooking, like these are cornerstones of cuisine that you're adding to a dish to flavor it. So if you want to be cooking these kinds of foods, blends will get you there. But something that he kind of distinguishes in this piece that I thought was interesting was the difference between these like heritage blends and these like, quote unquote, ready to eat Blends um, Uh, that have sugar and spice added to them. And I think an example is Trader Joe's, everything bagel spice, Mm -hmm. everything but the elote spice, these blends that um, are maybe like newer. And also, um, you don't need to add sugar or salt or anything else to the dish. You can add it onto, I don't know, your steak that you're cooking or Mm -hmm. your grilled corn. And like, that's everything done right away.
1: Did you ever grow up with like Mrs. Dash?
2: Yeah, Mrs. Dash for sure. I would have on like cucumbers as a snack, and I'm sure mixed into other things Um, but the thing that was interesting to me was that these are all these companies that during the pandemic and since like the beginning of that have been releasing these and they're really noticing that Mm -hmm. you know number one already americans are buying spice blends like that's how people cook in the grocery store but also that especially because of tiktok and these viral recipes and the everything but the bagel mania i think Mm -hmm. that is swept over that there's this interest in using these blends that can get you to a delicious place for dinner faster than if you were mixing everything yourself.
1: I mean, my number one blend is always za'atar. I feel za'atar, and, that you know, za'atar comes in many different forms depending on origin, but to me, um, something that has marjoram and the the herb of za'atar and maybe some fennel in it and maybe some salt in it sumac sumac of course i'm forgetting sumac man sumac mm. that's a single origin for chicken for me yeah
2: Sing,
1: single a spice. single spice i keep saying single origin but i meant single spice single spice uh, it's the best thing on chicken
2: yeah, um, I I agree with that. And I think that uh, the one of the reasons why that spice blends have a bad reputation in some spaces is uh, there's a couple reasons. One of them is that they're using commodity spices, right, that maybe are not the highest quality. And because they're mixing them together, yeah. they think you're not going to notice um, or I think like some. Food publications will prefer to call for single spices because they have this concept that it's more versatile, that you can mix them together. But really, if you know what you like and you know that you like za'atar on everything in the way Mm. that I think you and I both do, like Mm. why not get that za'atar and you'll actually use up that jar faster and it'll be fresher than if you have all of these like loosey spices kind of floating around.
1: It's hard because I love cardamom, but I I don't cook enough of it. So when I invest in a cardamom from like a burlap and barrel, which I want to, it just doesn't get used. And then it's kind of dead after 18 months
2: yeah, I don't know um, what your like neighbor situation is, but I do split neighbor. spices with, with, with my neighbors or my roommates oh. or whatever, you know?
1: Oh, you mean like a community? Yeah. I was yeah. like, what does my neighbor have to do this? Wow, you know my neighbors?
2: No, I, oh. I don't know if you know your neighbors, but if you do, <laughs> give them some of your cardamom.
1: I mean, it's such a good call. I think I try to break up Zot when I, when I go traveling to Israel or other places where they sell it. I, I buy a couple bricks and then break it break it up into small baggies that style.
2: Yeah. And that's the good stuff something that I wrote about in this piece also is that um, a lot of these like mainstream spice blends are being blended by people that don't necessarily even know what's supposed to be in them yeah. in the first place or they don't want to go to the trouble of sourcing everything. So with za'atar for example, like the za'atar herb isn't found in a lot of za'atar you can buy off the grocery shelf here. It's um, thyme often. Yeah, thyme. Instead which is, you know, not the same. And that's true for other spices as well. I remember um, Herbes de Provence, I was told that it should not have lavender in it and that that's something that's been added to the American version. And that was uh, surprising to me because I think of lavender more than anything else when I associate that blend.
1: I agree. You go to like a market in like in Aix-en-Provence and you're going to get this blend with maybe some lavender in there, but it's clearly just for the tourists.
2: Yeah, I think um, Ethan Frisch, who does Burlap and Barrel, told yeah. me this, and what he said was that um, Americans associate lavender with France and that he assumed somebody was just trying to make a blend and maybe cover up for the fact that some of the other herbs weren't so great and also like bring in something that would mm-hmm. be like, oh, so French. So that's yeah. how that came to be, but that isn't um, really the way that it's yeah. been produced for a long time.
1: I mean, Americans associate Emily in Paris with France. Just gonna say that.
2: <laughs> I don't know if they've ever done like a lavender herbs de Provence <laughs> episode, but I feel like that should be in the season pipeline. four. Yeah, there. Steal my ideas,
1: <laughs> Netflix. What do you think about Sola and Ham's ranch?
2: Oh my God, Spice but, blend. I'm obsessed with this. This was like one of the other reasons why I started writing this was that around Thanksgiving, I got like an early bottle, mm-hmm. like an unmarked bottle of spices, wow. which is really how you know you've made it, I would <laughs> say. Um, and it's so good for salad dressings. I've been making a tahini ranch that is a riff on an Andy Bergani recipe from his cookbook. And... Just adding that ranch powder the A couple of tablespoons, probably? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing it all by eye and yeah. just like, kind of shaking it shaking out and tasting in. it. But it has, you know, like a buttermilk powder in it mm-hmm. and all of those kind of ranchy herbs and sugar and salt. So it's just really deeply flavorful. And my friends keep on um, asking me to, re- to remake it for different I things. I love
1: it. So, yeah, tell me uh, just as an aside— when you're making a tahini buttermilk ranch it's not just for salad right you're doing you're doing different things
2: yeah um there's the buttermilk is the powder in the ranch seasoning the right. base of it itself is tahini and citrus and mm-hmm. olive oil and then dairy if i'm cooking for mm-hmm. people that eat dairy and i do mostly just eat it on raw vegetables yeah. but i've also kind of like tossed chickpeas in it and done a smashed chickpea salad situation i think it'll be really good with crispy tofu or roast chicken, like really anything that you're trying to eat, you know? Super
1: dope. Is there any spice that you wrote about that we haven't talked about that you want to shout out? Any of the brands that maybe are doing cool things with spice blends?
2: Yeah, I I was really interested to talk to um, Diaspora Co. because they have released a whole series of masalas and um, they are known for doing single origin cardamom and turmeric and all of these individual spices. And they just had a lot of really thoughtful things to say about the way they were developing them. Like, for example, their chai masala um, doesn't have any tea in it itself. It's just all of this powder of all of the ginger and cardamom and everything that goes into it. And that was because they really wanted their consumers to be able to bake with it mm-hmm. and just mix it straight into batter. And and they not have
1: the actual tea, which can kind of add caffeine and other issues, right?
2: Yeah, or if you're making like a really smooth, I don't know, um, creme caramel or cake that you might not want to have like whole chunks of tea leaves yeah. in it that way yep. which personally i wouldn't mind but um
1: it's a it's, texture thing yeah it's it. a
2: texture thing and it's a versatility thing and it's acknowledging that like this is not necessarily the most traditional way to do this but this is a way that is how we cook and how our audience wants to be cooking and they do like masala madness brackets on instagram and they're going to add a new masala to the lineup mm. like they really are i think connecting with their audience and their supporters in a a way that I think is interesting that they're not just like throwing together spices right but in based on what they have but instead thinking about like what is something we can offer
1: Eliza thank you for this very well-seasoned conversation
2: thank you my pleasure